Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. For years, I worked in the marketing world, working for clients to help them produce videos. And throughout the years, it wasn't uncommon to see many young men and women make the same mistake over and over again. They would get a job at our agency and start making videos for our various clients. But over time, they started to care more about the videos they were making than the clients themselves. It's a subtle difference, but a really important one. You see, they would be so focused on expressing themselves creatively through each project that the job no longer was about the client, but it became a selfish endeavor to make videos that would gain them recognition. If they had been focused on the client, their definition of success would have been completely dependent on accomplishing what the client wanted and having them be completely satisfied. It's easy to get caught in a similar trap as a Christian. We can find ourselves so wrapped up in the things that surround God and His church that we give them more attention than God Himself. We can praise and glorify leaders more than God. We can praise and glorify church accomplishments more than God. And we can even start to praise ourselves for the salvation and growth of others. Today, as we start in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles 14-16, through we're going to see David redeem the previous tragedy with the ark, which is possibly a result of similar sinful sentiments that we've just described. But before we get there, let's start where our reading begins in chapter 14. Yesterday, we learned of David's mighty men. He has this great army of men capable of great things, and it would have been easy to consider each battle won before it even began. But today we see that David still asks the Lord if he should fight the Philistines. In verse 10, he asks the Lord, and he says, yes, go up, and I will give them into your hand. And then in verse 14, you shall not go up after them, but the Lord's going to go before them and ultimately give them victory over the Philistine army. This sequence is a great reminder for us to always rely on the Lord in prayer. It's easy to cry out to the Lord when we are obviously overwhelmed and down and out, but it's harder to rely on the Lord when we have human means on our side. That's why Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel through the eye of a needle. David gives us a great example here of humility, although on paper he has an exemplary army. He will still rely on the Lord for victory. Now, in chapter 15, David is bringing the ark to Jerusalem, but this time things are going to be a bit different. David learned from the death of Uzzah, and he's going to do it right this time. Yesterday, we talked about how God had previously given instruction for carrying the ark, and it was not obeyed the first time. Now, David is going to make some changes. Starting in verse 13, we read, Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. As we read the rest of chapter 15, including David dancing in worship to the Lord, it becomes clear that this time, the transportation of the ark is all about God and his glory, and not about the ark being a good luck charm or a point of pride or anything like that. It's so easy for us to subtly take the things of the Lord and make them about ourselves. We can know the Bible really well for the glory of the Lord through our obedience and reliance on him, or we can become prideful, arrogant, and harsh with that knowledge. 
we can serve the church faithfully to the glory of the Lord, or we can be puffed up because of our resume looks better than others, or maybe because we have a closer relationship with leadership. And in chapter 16, the worship continues with a song of praise by David. And as you read this song of praise, it might might sound familiar. That's because it's made up of three different Psalms, Psalm 105, Psalm 96, and Psalm 106. And verses 8 through 12 say this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. And then verses 23 through 26 say, sing to the Lord, all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. David celebrates by blessing the people with celebratory bread, meat, and cakes. And now he sings this song of praise to God. And I think this is a good reminder that the reason the ark was important is because of God's presence and why and God's presence is so important. We honor, glorify and worship God, not the things that represent God. God is the object of our worship and nothing else. That is the first commandment. Not only is God our only object of worship, but he is also our only provider. In Psalm 83:1 through 8, we're reminded of just how completely dependent we are on the Lord. The first four verses say this, "O God, do not keep silence." Do not hold your peace or be still, O God, for behold, your enemies will make make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe out, wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. When we are completely de- dependent on God, he is glorified. When we put our complete trust in him and rely on him for all provision, he is glorified and honored. Are there any battles you are trying to fight on your own? When money is tight, do you go to God in prayer? When you're persecuted at your job, do you go to God in prayer? When you live in a government that is increasingly anti-God or anti-Christian, do you go to God in prayer? When there's a loved one who's sick, do you go to God in prayer? When it looks like things are dire and there's no way out, do you still go to God in prayer? God never asks us to minimize the difficulty of our situation, but he wants us to rely on him to provide the strength to overcome it. Now, let's go on reading in our Gospels section of today's reading. We're in Luke 6, 1 through 11. Now, just as a refresher, the Pharisees considered any work on the Sabbath forbidden, and plucking the grain and rubbing it in your hands to remove the outer chaff would have been thought of as work by them. So the Pharisees ask, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answers them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which was which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? No, David didn't eat this bread on the Sabbath. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. But Jesus is making the point that he did something normally unlawful. David and his followers did this because of David's authority. 
Jesus' next response seals the deal here. He says, the son of man is the Lord of Sabbath. And here again, Jesus is claiming to have all authority, that he is God. He is David's Lord, and he has authority over the Sabbath beyond David or the Pharisees. Now, Jesus is going to heal a man next with a withered hand on the Sabbath. So he does this miracle now on the Sabbath. Jesus knows that the Pharisees are waiting to see if Jesus does this so they can trap him. But Jesus preemptively strikes. He brings the man with the withered hand to the front and presents him in the center of all the people and gets everyone's attention. He says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, He said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus didn't do any apparent work here in this moment. Neither did the man who was healed, but the Pharisees are furious. We see on display in both of these instances that when we start to worship anything other than God himself, like the Pharisees ultimately did, it ends in sin and a hardness of heart. These Pharisees had created a system that was so focused on their accomplishments, drawing all of the attention away from God to themselves that they didn't even have the heart to recognize and worship the long-awaited Messiah. This should serve as a cautionary tale to us. May we never become so infatuated with our own rules and preferences that we miss what God is doing in our midst. Yes, we must be obedient to God, and He has given us specific commands in the Bible, but when we start to create a ranking system within Christianity that is extra-biblical, That's when we make it all about us and not the God we claim to worship. And in a related fashion today, we come to the end of Galatians where Paul circles back to summarize his plea with them not to follow false teachers who are trying to convince the Galatians that they need to follow certain ceremonies even after becoming Christians. And Paul compares himself to those false teachers in verse 14 saying, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's reminding them that although outward appearances for the sake of earning favor with God are useless, we are changed by the cross of Christ. The world and its sinful passions should be dead to us, no longer having a hold on us, and we should be dead to the world, no longer useful to it, to extend the agenda of the enemy. But also, even though Paul is an apostle, who is being used mightily by the Lord and has much on his spiritual resume. Even with all of that, Paul says that he will only boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul kept his focus on the glory of God. And I pray no matter what God uses us to do, we will do it all to his glory. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. It's been an honor filling in for Ben Blakey, who will be back tomorrow. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.